Welcome back to Psychic Crime. I'm your host, Nicole Mann. And it has been a minute. Um, it's because I'm actually an essential worker. Um, I, for some of you who know, um, I am a case manager at a shelter. I'm a housing stabilization case manager. Um, what that means is that I have currently uh, 14 clients in my shelter, uh, 14 families that I help find housing and then I help them get grants to assist with the cost of moving. Once they have moved out of the shelter, they continue to be my clients for a year afterwards. I do in-home case management to help um, make sure that they have the life skills necessary to uh, keep the roof over their head and uh, maintain stabilized. Um, and so I have an additional 20 clients outside of the shelter. So I currently have 34 uh, families that I'm providing case management for, 20 outside of the shelter and 14 in the shelter. So with the pandemic happening, the state that I work in right now, we are in a state of emergency. There is a shelter in place order. Um, the stores are all closed unless you are providing essential services. So grocery stores, restaurants are closed unless you are providing takeout. There is no dine-in. Um, so delivery men are allowed to deliver my building. You're not allowed to come into the building that I live, my apartment building, unless you live there or you are a delivery person. Uh, many uh, rental agencies are not leasing. Um, so there's just a lot of things. In the midst of all this, I have to help um, my clients protect their tenancy, those who have found residents. I have landlords contacting me about money with all this going on. Um, and then I also have clients who have issues with child services um, while all this is going on. So I'm trying to help people protect their tenancies. I'm trying to help people protect their rights as parents. I'm uh, making food pantry runs for people whose jobs are affected by this. Um, I'm going into the shelter two days a week. I'm helping sanitize and, and just make sure that trying to get people to stay in and that they're not traveling. Um, but three days a week that you try and work from home. And um, it's just been a very rough situation. Um, like I said, a lot of food pantry runs. I've had to do a couple pop-ups on people who are not responding. We haven't heard from them to make sure they're safe. Um, we're going out uh, diapers, a formula. Um, a lot of stores are running out of things like that, and we're talking about low-income people. So trying to just secure things like diapers and formula for my clients who are living off of very low incomes, and some of them have no incomes now, um, and to make sure that they have the essentials they need. Um, one thing that is difficult for some of them more than others are toiletries. Um, you may not really have realized it till now, but you know they struggle with them, having them on a day-to-day -day basis before. Now they really struggle with having them because they're going to the stores and soap is sold out, um, hand sanitizer. They could get a bar of soap when they ran out. Now they can't even get a bar of soap. So um, I've always had that be an issue for me. I believe hygiene is a right, not a privilege based on money. People have the ability to stockpile soap and now 
people like my clients who are buying things like soap and shampoo as they need it uh, can't get it and so um, just having to go around to places that have hygiene pantries and get soap and shampoo uh, tampons um, is insane so for those of you who are donating to food pantries and, and organizations um, to help people make sure that they have food in a time like this please also donate hygiene products that is an issue especially tampons and pads um, if you do have shelters near you that are accepting donations call find out what the procedure is offer to donate um, they're struggling with this too um, but uh, shout out to your local social workers and shelter workers because they are essential they are out in this they're still making home visits they're still providing case management and social services to individuals that does not stop um, and so I'm very lucky um, if I, I have symptoms I'm able to get a test um, I found that out um, about a week and a half ago I don't I'm fine but um, so that's why I haven't been able to record because um, I have be working and, and helping my clients stay safe and get the essentials and things that they need that they have not been able to uh, go out and get for themselves but I'm back and we are going to look into the case of Arnaldo Jimenez and let's get started with that um, but before I do real quick I do want to say I want to thank all of you who are listening um, I know that there are people from all over the world and you're all having struggles and issues with what's uh, going on so um, if I can make your self-isolation a little easier I really really appreciate this and like always um, show your support uh, by giving me uh, a five-star rating on whatever platform that you listen to um, you can uh, show support through the patreon or the venmo which i'll have the link to down below and we will get started it's as though a domestic abuse incident is an expression of a particular type of psychological disturbance some psychological dysfunction specifically expresses itself in acts of violence in fact we note in diagnosing psych psychopathology acts of violence and control issues serve as primary diagnostic criteria in making psychological assessments more than three million incidents of domestic violence are reported each year including both men and women nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the united states alone during one year this equates to more than 10 million people one-third of women and one-fourth of men will have and experience some sort of interpersonal violence and for one-fourth of women and one-seventh of men it's going to be severe what is less talked about though serious is emotional abuse that ranges from withholding to controlling and includes manipulation and verbal abuse the number of people affected is astronomical emotional abuse is insidious and slowly eats away at your confidence and self-esteem. The effects are long-term and can take even longer to recover from than blatant violence. Victims often minimize violence. Violence includes throwing or breaking things, slapping, shoving, hair pulling, and forcing sex. Here are some facts that you should know. 
Usually, abuse takes place behind closed doors. Abusers deny their actions. Abusers will blame the victim. Violence is preceded by verbal abuse. Abuse damages your self-esteem and sense of self-worth. The abuser needs to be right and in control. It's what a lot of people refer to as right fighting. The abuser can be possessive and may try to isolate their partner from friends and family. The abuser is hypersensitive and may react with rage. A gun in the house increases the risk of homicide by 500%. Two-thirds of domestic violence perpetrators have been drinking alcohol. One-third of victims have been drinking or using drugs. You may not realize that abusers feel powerless. They don't act insecure to cover up the truth. In fact, they're often bullies. The one thing they all have in common is that their motive is to have power over their victims. This is because they don't feel that they have personal power in their everyday life, regardless of their worldly success. To them, communication is a win-lose game. They often have the following personality profiles. They're insecure. They're needy with unrealistic expectations of their relationships. They're distrustful. They're extremely jealous. They're verbally abusive. They need to be right and in control. They're possessive. They may try and isolate you from friends and family. They're hypersensitive and extremely aggressive. They have a history of aggression. They can be cruel to animals or children. They'll blame their behavior on others. They'll, sometimes they may suffer from untreated mental health problems, including depression or suicide. That is not saying that all people who suffer from depression or suicide are necessarily abusive. That's just saying that sometimes they can suffer from untreated mental health. So don't correlate mental health issues and um, abusive behavior. They don't go hand in hand necessarily. Most victims of abuse respond in a rational way. They explain themselves and believe the abuser is interested in what they have to say. This lets abusers know that they have won and have control. Instead, one must design their own strategy and not react, thereby not rewarding the abusive behavior. You can do this by not engaging or by responding in an unpredictable way such as with humor, which throws an abuser off guard. You can also ask for the behavior you want, set limits and confront the abuse. Most victims do the opposite and placate and appease an abuser to de-escalate the tension and the risk of harm. It rarely works and the abuse typically continues. If you've experienced violence, and that includes shoving, hair pulling, or destroying property, it's essential to get support and learn how to set limits. Abusers deny or minimize the problem, as do victims, and may claim that they can't control themselves. This is untrue. Notice that they aren't abusive with their bosses because there would be consequences to that behavior. They also blame their actions on you, implying that you need to change. You're never responsible for someone else's behavior. And people do say this over and over again and they repeat it, but it is true. It's not your fault. It's never going to be your fault because you can never control what someone else does. Now, there's something called the cycle of violence, and that cycle tends to be a buildup of tension, the attack, the remorse and apology, 
a honeymoon period of loving gestures. Sometimes the threat of violence is all the abuser needs to control you. Like a terrorist, the best time to abort violence is in the buildup stage. Some victims will even provoke an attack to get it over with because their anxiety and fear of the attack is so great. After an attack, abusers say how sorry they are and promise never to do it again, but without counseling to treat the underlying issues that caused the abuse, the abuse will repeat itself. Do not believe their promises to stop. There are many reasons why victims stay in relationships. Statistics show that victims of violence endure an average of up to seven attacks. The dominant reason is dependency. Control by the abuser, shame about the abuse, and the dysfunctional nature of the relationship lower the victim's self-esteem and sense of self-worth and the confidence that they normally have. This will often cause the victim to withdraw from their friends and family, create even more fear and dependency on their abuser. The abuse itself is experienced as an emotional rejection with the threat of being abandoned. This triggers feelings of shame and fears of both more abuse and abandonment within the victim, which are then relieved during the honeymoon phase. Then the victim hopes the abuser will change. After all, there have been good times in between episodes of abuse. There are reasons why the person loves or once loved the abuser, and often children can be involved. Abusers can have Jekyll and Hyde personalities. Dr. Jekyll is charming and romantic, perhaps successful, and makes lots and lots and lots of announcements of love. You love Dr. Jekyll and make excuses for Mr. Hyde, the awful person who, who, who hurts you. You may not see what the whole person is, that the whole person, both of these personalities, is the problem. You've had a painful relationship with a parent growing up you can confuse love and pain. Victims also stay for these other reasons. Finances, nowhere else to live, no outside emotional support, childcare issues, taking the blame for the abuse, denying, minimizing, and rationalizing the abuse, low sense of self-esteem, and just because they love the person. If you're a victim, you feel ashamed. You've been humiliated and your self-esteem and self-worth have been undermined. You hide the abuse from people close to you and often want to protect the reputation of your abuser because you feel shame. An abuser uses tactics to isolate you from friends and loved ones by criticizing them and making remarks designed to force you to take sides. You're either for them or against them. If the abuser feels slighted, then you have to take his or her side. You're befriending the enemy. This is designed to increase control over you and your dependence on them. Now, on May 13, 2012, at 3.30 in the afternoon in Burbank, Illinois, the police department got a request for a welfare check from a Christina Jimenez. She stated that her brother had gotten in a fight with his girlfriend, Estrella Carrera, and that she had not heard from her since. Detective Enrique Perez responded to the call by going to the residence. Shortly after arriving, members of the Carrera family showed up, stating that Estrella had left her children with their father for the past two days and they could not find her. Upon entering the apartment, everything seemed normal until the police reached the bathroom, where they found Estrella's dead body. 
she had been stabbed multiple times and due to the lack of blood, they realized the crime had not taken place in the residence. She was wearing a silver sequin party dress. The police now had to go out and break the news to her family. They discovered during this conversation that she was just married to her longtime boyfriend, Arnaldo Jimenez, two days earlier. That's right. The last time anyone saw her was shortly after she impetuously got married to the father of her son. Now Arnaldo is nowhere to be found. They had an extremely tumultuous on and off again relationship. So the family was extremely shocked when they stated they would be getting married. It was so last minute that most of the family could not get ready and not fast enough to attend the actual nuptials. So they agreed to provide childcare instead. After the wedding, the couple rented a party bus for friends and drove around the city. Around 2 a.m., they ended up at a nightclub on the north side of Chicago where they got into an argument. Around 3 a.m., they got into a fight outside of the nightclub where Arnoldo sorry, threw a bottle and forced Estrella back into the car. She was never seen alive after that. Arnoldo always seemed very controlling to Estrella's family and they suspect that he was involved in the drug trade due to a drug arrest in 2007. Estrella filed a police report regarding a death threat that Arnoldo had made against her. Due to his behavior and the way that he limited her interactions with her family, the um, Estrella's family um, suggested to the police that he was physically and emotionally abusive to her. However, they had nothing to suggest that he had hurt her, no evidence, no crime scene, and just the fact that he had disappeared off the face of the earth. Several months after her death, the DEA caught a break when they raided one of the Jimenez family's properties in an unrelated case. Under a tarp on the property, they found Arnaldo's Maserati that he had been driving the night he disappeared. It was clear that this was the crime scene. The interior was covered in blood that after being tested turned out to be Estrella's, as well as there being several nicks in the car's interior from where a knife had caught the seats, the dashboard, several places. With this, Arnaldo was immediately um, arraigned, even though he wasn't there, he was still arraigned for murder and placed at number 10 on the FBI's most wanted list with a reward of $100,000 being sought for any information about his whereabouts. He's still at number 10 on the FBI's most wanted list. Uh, they're still trying to find him. Uh, he is still in the wind. They believe the reason he is so difficult to find is because he does have connections. Uh, the DEA believes he and his brother were trafficking drugs. That's why they were watching them. Um, and the DEA had raided one of the family's properties. So if you want to check out the FBI's 10 Most Wanted list, you will see a photo of Arnaldo Jimenez. If you have any information about it, you can call the FBI. There's a $100,000 reward for any information leading to his 
capture and arrest. And that is it for Arnaldo Jimenez and Estrella Carrera. I'm going to try and do another episode this week and I'll try and go live next weekend. Um, But like I said, for now, stay safe, uh, do your part, uh, wear a mask, wear gloves. uh, If you can, shelter in place. Um, Next week, I will do an episode on Ira the Unicorn Einhorn. He is the founder of Earth Day. This is going back to the counterculture movement. Promise you I would do a follow-up. In the meantime, I hope you sleep better knowing the how and why people do such awful things.